Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Elsa Johnson. She is an NLP master practitioner, a cognitive behaviorist therapy practitioner, a certified life coach, and a positive intelligence coach. Welcome, Elsa. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. I'm so happy to be here with you, and thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure and my honor. Thank you for making the time and taking the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey. I'm really looking forward to jumping in, so let's get started. Let's do that. So as mentioned, you have all of these certifications. That is one hell of an extensive resume and a hell of a lot of hats that you wear. How on earth do you find all the time for this? And how important is prioritization and organization to you in, in terms of how to stay on top of things? I look at all those certifications. Yes, that it may seem like a lot, but I look at it as the tools in my toolbox. And in order for me to keep them sharp at all times, of course, I do continue to add on to my learning and my deeper understanding of those modalities. But my focus is really on my clients. And through that, I see where I really need to pay attention and have what's current for them, what's, because what's current for one client is typically what's current for everybody. And in staying organized, as you asked, you know, it's, it's a matter of just focusing on what's really important, you know, try not to get myself distracted from all the things that has absolutely no impact on the impact that I want to have through what I do. And so I'm very curious then with you, wearing all of these hats and being a serial entrepreneur, what does your morning routine look like? Well, I like to start the mornings out with quiet time. I get up, I, you know, do my morning hygiene and then I do yoga stretches. I stretch and I listen to some either meditation or some daily prom. And then I take some time to journal before I get into the day. It really helps me sit myself up to having a good day. Now, are these non-negotiables for you, Elsa? Like these things you must do every day? As non-negotiables as they can be. There are days <laughs> where it just not is possible if I have yeah. a very, very early commitment, but I try to really stick with those boundaries for myself because I know I show up much more powerfully when I start my day like that. Because Which in it, turn benefits your clients. Oh, Absolutely. And it in turn also benefits my mental health because I don't start the day off stressed. So have you, I mean, you being a serial entrepreneur, has, has the entrepreneurial bug always been in you? Like where, and if so, where did that come from? Do you think? Well, it's funny because I never really thought about it. Like I had an entrepreneurial bug, but I think I always had a knowing that 
that I wanted to do things differently. And if you want to do things differently, it's very difficult to do it in an established business. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just sort of one, you know, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? I think from when I was very young, I was like, I saw something and I went for it. And there was just no question in my mind that I was going to achieve that. But my first actual personal business as an entrepreneur, when I open up my interior design business was sort of like, like a lot of other interior design or creative people, they are being told, oh, you're so good at this. You should make a business. Can you help me? Can you do this? And then it just evolved from there. And then because of my more formal or my more regular upbringing of starting out in finance and having worked for other small businesses, I really knew all the intricate details of what it takes to run a business. Now, what were you doing? You just briefly mentioned, but what were you doing before you jumped into the entrepreneurial world? Well, I worked since basically I was 14 or even younger, always working some kind of job. But when I started my formal career, I started in finance and banking. And that was, you know, you might have detected my accent, but I was born and raised in, in Denmark. And that's where I started my career. When I met my husband and moved to the U.S., I did not continue in banking, but I started working for smaller entrepreneurial companies, doing everything from emptying the garbage cans to basically writing the checks and, and running the company behind the the owners in a lot of different industries. So that's what that gave me that deep understanding of what does it really take and what are the sacrifices that entrepreneurs make in a business on a daily basis. Well, working those multiple jobs, like you said, from emptying the garbage cans to running the business behind closed kind of thing, it gives you a, a fuller breadth of what goes on behind closed doors of a business and how to run your business. So you're, in essence, educating yourself and learning, teaching yourself how to run a business because you're learning so many different aspects of the companies. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it, it's a gift that I today am so grateful for because it really helps me understand my clients on a much deeper level. Because I've heard people talk about coaches in my business where they're saying, oh, you don't get it. You haven't been here. You don't know what I'm dealing with. And I truly believe that there is not a lot they can spring on me where I will be truly surprised. <laughs> It's funny because you think about some of the kids who come out of school today and they want the the $80,000 a year job right off the start and they don't realize that you have to start at the bottom and work your way up. And that's exactly what you did. And it's also a learning experience. Oh, no, no question. It's invaluable. Yes, it is. I would not be as effective a coach as I am without that experience. That's for sure. I love it. So then what inspired the jump for you into the entrepreneurial world? from doing what you were doing previously? It was a combination. As I said, I was at the time I was working with a very creative woman there. During that time, she had a very successful business doing decorative wall finishes and, and some interior. And I realized that, oh, I have a knack for this. I can see this. I can do this. And um, I have since very, very young age had a love for sewing And then I started, oh, I can sew some draperies. I can sew some pillows. I can do this. I can do that. And then I started developing that skill too. I've always had this attitude of, hmm, I can figure this out. Let me try try it out. (laughs) And it really helped me in, in the early days. And it also helped me set my business apart because everything that I did was ultra custom. And then I also get bored if I have to do the same thing over and over and over again. So my designs were never repeated really. So that's what 
people came to me for knowing that they would get something they couldn't go into their neighbors and look for, you know, see repeated. So it it was really out of this seeing that I had a passion that started to get developed and, and really grew from there. And the other part of it was at the time where I was um, in my family life, it fit into that I was able to, at the time, have a business around my family needs. So when the children were in school, I could work. I could do these things in order to supplement for the family, but without sacrificing the things that was important to me, like raising our children. I'm curious to to know, though, I mean, you said that you had a passion for this and you often hear people say, well, just because you have a passion for something doesn't mean you should turn it into a business. Or I can even relate back to my experience as a photographer jumping into the world of entrepreneurship. And I had people telling me, are you crazy? There's so many photographers out there. How are you going to, there's no way you can't do it. There's too many photographers. There's too much competition. The market is saturated and just, and again, just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you should turn it into a business or that if you do do that, if you do turn your hobby or your passion into a business, you're going to lose the, the luster for it, the love for it. And it will just become like any other job. It'll just become work for you. So did, was that ever a concern for you? And did you um, hear any of that feedback from people? Yes and no. I think the concern for me has always been setting the boundaries around it, right? And, and I do the same thing today. I work with clients that I truly love. I work with clients that I feel is so aligned with who I am. And when I did it, you know, in my interior design, there was literally clients that I felt I could never please them. And I think that's one thing that any entrepreneur has to be really specific about when they do it from the sense of passion that they have to build in room to develop that passion and continue with that passion at the same time, put a structure in place that helps them not get overwhelmed because that's what happens a lot of times that people, they, they let everybody else decides their schedule and their timing and the way they are supposed to do things. You mentioned there's so many photographers out there. There is also so many interior designers out there that, you know, that everybody can call themselves one or the other, right? But your skill, your eye, your way of doing things is what sets you apart. And the more you stick to those guns, the more people can see that consistency and know why they want specifically you. Exactly. I, that's exactly it right there. Like you said, with photography, with interior, no one else is you. You bring your uniqueness to that business. So. And not everyone out there is going to be your client. Not everyone is going to resonate with your style, with your skill set, with what you do, all of these things. So it took me a little while to get past that, though, and to not let those voices repeat in my head. But once I did, it's like, no, no one else is me. No one else can see things the way I do. And that's my ace in the hole, so to speak, or that's how I'm going to differentiate myself is because no one else is me. Yeah. And that that reminds me a little bit about when I've talked pricing with a lot of my clients and also when I did it in my own business is like looking to the market to see what a market value is for what you do is, is good and fine as an indicator, but you have to feel in alignment with what you, what you charge for your work. Some people might come and tell you, oh, that's way too little, or that's way too much. But if you yourself feel complete in alignment with 
what you charge for what you do, then the value comes completely across to your clients for your uniqueness. Because when you feel that you get paid for what you feel your work is worth, you shine so much more brightly in your work. And you cannot let other people put that on you. Um, and, and I know a lot of people, they, in this sense of what we are talking about, that's where a big stress point is because they say, oh, I could never charge that. And if you come into it with that, then you feel very uncomfortable and don't feel confident in selling your services. On the other hand, if you feel like you have undercut your prices, you feel resentment for your clients and it always shows up. Yeah. That energy will come across for sure. 100%. I love that. I would love to know what first inspired you to take the path and enter into the journey of personal development. And when did this journey begin for you? Like, Did this journey begin with some of your own personal struggles, with some of these things that you now currently help your clients with? And if so, would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to share it because for many years, I was a personal development denier. (laughs) (laughs) This may be a strong way to put it, but... I never looked to that, you know, as I mentioned before, I I worked since I was 14, you know, my first real job, I got at 17 and I moved out of my parents' home and lived by myself and have done that ever since. And I always consider myself somebody who could survive in any, you know, just throw it at me and I'll take it and I'll run with it. Right. And I was like, this whole personal development, you know, that that's for people who don't know, but better, you know, I, I'm just being straightforward and honest with you here. <laughs> and, you know, it was okay for other people, but not for me. Then in, I'm trying to get the timeline right here. I believe it, it was about 2015. I'd recently moved to where we live now in Scottsdale, Arizona, one of our many moves, but this one seemed like it was more permanent. And our children were out of the house and I started looking at myself and saying, hmm, should you open up your interior design business like you've done before? Which I did. And it just, this time around, it just didn't, you know, it, it wasn't like there was something totally unaligned with it. And then I was back in Denmark and I was with my father and we were standing by my mother's grave. And at the time, my dad was 94 years old and he looked down and he was saying, I never knew how to support her. And it just struck me in my chest. Wow. He was a man that had, the year I was born, established a boarding school, been, you know, been headmaster of the school for young adults for many years. A man that by all rights had been so successful. And then at 93 years old, still stood and felt that the most important person in his life, he had not supported the way he wanted to. And I was like, what? You know, I was like, how, how can that be? How can that be? Somebody that I love and admire and, yeah, have butted head with so many times, still never seen that, never understood that part of the sacrifices that he had made. So a year later, he passed, and I was sitting in our living room with the person from the funeral home and my uh, three siblings, and, like, every funeral person was asked, you know, oh, so how was your father? How was your childhood? And I leaned back and listened to my siblings. And it was literally like I was hearing three different childhoods. I could not resonate with either. Yeah, I could, but it was a little like, what? What are you telling we, me? Did we, did we grow up in the same house? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I know we are a few years apart, but to me, it was like, are you talking about my dad? <laughs> <laughs> And that really sparked something in me that said, 
if our experiences here on earth are so individualized, where does all our pain, where does our suffering, where does our regrets, where does everything come from? And how can I as a person lean into that and understand that and see how can I most effectively direct that so I feel completely fulfilled, so I feel completely engaged and have the impact that I want to have and the legacy that I want to leave for my children and not be 93 years old standing at my spouse's grave and feel I did not support that person. Wow, what an experience. And realization, a moment of realization. Yes. And it wasn't necessarily one particular moment, but then I started the studying and I started all these certifications and I literally just, you know, I got in it deep and I really realized I never sought this out, but it was always there waiting for me to activate it. Yeah. And I said that interior design was my passion, but what I'm doing today is my mission. I love that. I love that distinction. How have these experiences helped shape the Elsa you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Well, I think the first gift that I ever received was being born into the family that I was. As I mentioned, my, my father had established that boarding school. So for all the formidable years of my life, I was living as the fly on a wall to all these experiences of 90 plus young adults coming to the school every year. I literally hadn't, I grew up in my own human personality lab, right? I could see, and I could, I could see how it doesn't matter who you are and what you are. There's always things beneath the surface that you are too scared, too afraid to share with the world. And I never realized that till I started doing, you know, all my training that how valuable that is. And also all my moves, as I mentioned before, I've lived in various different countries and different continents and had a, a constant inflow of influences and experiences that is helping me today. I am in a place now where I know that no two people have the same story. No two people have the same way of approaching life, but everybody deserves the best possible way of dealing with what they have. That's beautiful. So what was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you as a result of your experiences, would you say? You have to want it. You have to make it important for yourself. Very true. Now, as mentioned, you're a positive intelligence coach. For those out there who don't know what that is or what that's all about, would you mind sharing a little bit about positive intelligence and what it is and how you got involved in that world in particular, positive intelligence. Oh, yes, absolutely. So of all the frameworks that they are created within personal development, there's really nothing new. You know, Aristotle and, and Plato and all the old philosophers, you know, we're just repeating what they're saying. When we look at all these different modalities, we're looking at them as, as results of years and years of evolution of, of those theories. The positive intelligence theory really speaks to me because it's very practical. It's very relatable to everybody's experience of life. And it also takes in my own personal philosophy is nothing is good or bad. It's whatever you make it. When you, you can look at, I'm sure you've experienced people in a family and one person, you know, the same thing happens to the family and some person is, one of them are just like totally 
going off on a tangent how terrible it is and it's never going to be good and blah, blah, blah. They're going down that, you know, they're just going down that rabbit hole. Where the other one is looking more practical and saying, yeah, this happened, but let's see what can we get out of this situation? What is the best possible outcome that we can have from going forward from here? And this is the focus that the positive intelligence framework have, saying that everything that you have experienced up till this day in your life, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, it is a data point. It is a data point for you to say, am I okay with this? Or is there behaviors or thoughts or mindsets that I have to change in order to make it more valuable or more intrinsically in line with the values that I see myself as holding. Out of all these modalities that you are trained in, which certification did you achieve first? And what inspired the decision or decisions to pursue these other certifications and modalities that you're trained in? Well, the first one was the life coaching. And that was really because, as I said, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. So I felt (laughs) that that was a pretty safe bet in actually understanding that. Because the biggest difference between a mentor or a consultant and and a coach is that I do not bring the answers to you. You know, I help you uncover the answers. And there is a very specific way to help somebody get to their own conclusion. And that's where being a certified life coach, you really understand that questioning method. It's not a method of making you feel bad about yourself or making you feel superior, inferior, whatever it is. It is about helping you see what is the most effective way for you to live in your life. So that was the first one. And then the other ones just sort of came naturally afterwards because as you start saying, so why is this? So why is it that this can happen? What is it? How do we form our opinions? I've always believed in that we all have sort of a narrative by which we run our lives. You have to work hard. Money doesn't grow on trees, whatever all those stories (laughs) that we've been told, right? And that's where like the NLP came in and understanding that that timeline that, that we are all where we have anchored in experiences that that dictate how we act today. And by understanding that, when I sit with a client, I can then say, okay, you are saying this today. Where did that belief, is that a belief you hold true for yourself today? Or is it something you need to revisit or maybe, you know, let go of? And both that and then the cognitive behavioral therapy is is a little bit more clinical, even though I'm not a clinically you know, certified practitioner, I understand where those behavioral, how they come about. And then one of the deeper things that I have learned to understand, which is not in my certification, but it's in my realm of interest, is trauma, where trauma is where you have to say that people who have gone through significant trauma in their lives, you have to work with them a little bit different because it actually gets written into your skin on a cellular level. So you have to think about that completely differently than, you know, somebody hasn't gone through significant trauma. You say that your mission is to help unravel entrepreneurs' self-sabotage and insecurity so that they feel worthy to choose the life they love and are confident in their success. Why is this mission so personally important to you? Well, again, going back to my father, it's like, 
if you your whole life have told yourself, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. For him, I know that it was the board on the school that he felt he couldn't stand up to. My, my mom had some, you know, she had depression. She had trouble in feeling her own worth. And my dad wasn't able to support her. And I know he wasn't able to support her because he felt she was also teaching at the school and he couldn't okay. step in. So he felt that other people had to dictate what his way was. But that's because that was the way he was brought up. Right. Just like an employee like me in my interior design business, I had to learn to set my own boundaries. My self-sabotage was I had to overplease, I had to overgive, I had to do all these things in order to get the clients to me. And that is a form of self-sabotage because if I could say to the clients is I am the professional here. I know how this is done professionally. I need to make sure that it's in line with your taste or the things that you want in your home. But I can't let you dictate that I come and hang your draperies at 11 o'clock at night. If I don't feel strong in myself and confident in telling my client, this is not in line with how I work or how I do this. I know I would be in there hanging draperies at 11 o'clock at night and doing a bad job because I literally was too tired. So this overarching theme or overarching umbrella here with all of your modality around is based around mindset. So I'm curious, what is one tip that you could give people right now that they could implement immediately around shifting their mindset or helping to shift that mindset and get out of that self-sabotage or negative self-talk? The most important shift is pay attention to what you say repeatedly. Because what you say is how you act. So if you constantly say, I have to work hard, I have to work hard to make money, I have to work hard to make money, you know, money doesn't grow on cheese, so I have to work hard. Is that really true for you? And what does hard work mean to you? You know, start paying attention to what you speak into the world. Because as I mentioned before, the narrative, that's what you write. And then once you said, I was mentioned, we were talking about the positive intelligence is saying, so what is hard work? Are you just putting the, the dread on that it's hard work? And rather than saying, this is exciting work, it can still be hard, but it can be exciting work. What attitude do you bring into it? Start examining what you're saying and what you repeatedly are saying to yourself. And then once you understand that, is that actually supporting the way you want to live your life, the way you want to feel empowered in having a full choice and decision in your life? And be careful with the words you choose to speak. Be selective. Yes. One of my favorite scenes is from one of the um, Indiana Jones movies. It's where he is supposed to have the Holy Grail and he says, choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Elsa, what type of person or client is your ideal client? Like, What types of things do you look for in a potential client before you decide to work with them? I'm sure you probably have heard about the open and closed mindset people. Yes. I definitely look for clients who can see in themselves that this is just not working for me, but they just don't know what to do with it. You know, they are stuck in some way, shape or form, and they, they intrinsically know it. Nobody around them might know it, but they know it themselves. But they are action takers. So as soon as I can guide them in the right direction, they take off like wildfire. What excites or lights you up the most about the work that you do? Oh, when that light bulb goes off for my client, it is just one of the most exciting things. 
as, as a quick example, if I may, I'm working yeah, with a young woman right now and she had a situation where she felt her boss wasn't including her in some decision processes and she just felt like, you know, they're not taking me seriously. And when we had this big discussion, and but are you taking yourself serious? Are you showing up seriously? Because that's that's the other part, part of the people that I love is the people who know they have a responsibility in the change that they want to be. And she was going to a conference and her boss says, yeah, you can go. And she says, are you going? No, I'm not going. And she met him in, a, in the TSA line going on the same flight to the same destination. <laughs> <laughs> and she said to me afterwards, she says, I am so grateful for this work. She said, I could just take a couple of deep breaths and just say, oh, I didn't think you were going. <laughs> <laughs> and just feel like not from a resentful place and it turned out he actually wasn't going it just happened to be a location where he was going to take a few days off he wasn't going to the conference and it turned out she could go to this conference feeling much more confident and feeling i'm not under the shadow of my boss i can show up powerfully here and she was just she was over the moon happy with that she felt like I have let go of that power of feeling that I needed his approval for everything that I did. That is a powerful moment because that could have gone many other bad ways if she oh. let it get under her skin and approached her boss and that could have gone so bad. That's incredible. Yeah. That's an incredible story. I love it. Yeah, because really, like I said, I asked her afterwards, I said, what was the gift in it? She said the gift was really that I felt so empowered walking the floor in this trade show, talking to people, knowing that I was there because I deserved to be there. Love it. That is beautiful. On the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts of the work that you do? The initial most challenging things is that when I sit with a client to help them understand that they can't look to me for the answers. They can look to me for the guidance. People have for so long been programmed to that finding the answers outside themselves. But when you look inside yourself, just like I had to do with now as I became a coach, I had to look and see what are the experiences that I can pull on that have dictated my behavior. How can I look at them and change what I don't like about and what I see is not serving me. I am there as their guide to look at those so they become less charged, more of a neutral situation, as I mentioned before, just a data point for them to look at so they can move forward and right. just help them step away from this thinking that all the answers is outside themselves. That's a big part of it, right? That we don't realize that all, we do have all the answers within us and some of us need more guidance than others to find them, but it is all there. Yeah. And often it, it is because we get so stuck in one way of looking at it that we don't see that, oh, there's a piece of this puzzle that I completely forgot, or there's a piece of this puzzle that I still need to add onto it. You know, if, if it's somebody who want to level up to the next level in their business and you consider, yeah, you have all these, but you're not seeing that this integral part that you actually need that you need that to hire that extra person, or you need to get that extra piece of equipment or this piece of knowledge or understanding or whatever it is, but you don't see it because you're so wrapped up in your own thoughts. And that's where, the, you know, a good coach that can really help you, first of all, take all those puzzle pieces, put them out and help you put them back together again and see how they all fit together and if you are missing any pieces in order to make it all work. 
I love that puzzle analogy. That's great. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches? Why would they choose to work with you over someone else? Well, I think I'm pretty unique. (laughs) But as we talked about before, I have so many life experiences that I bring into it. And one of the other things, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to not necessarily know everything that's good for you. But I know I'm able to help you understand why and why not it would be. And I don't have a need to be better than you. In your opinion, what would you say is the most important quality or skill set in a coach? Not to want the outcome more than the client. That's an interesting one. I've never heard that one before. Because if, if I want an outcome more than you, if you were my client, I am dictating a process and the outcome. Very interesting. I like that. You'd be driving the bus or steering the ship. Yeah, and that's not my job. I'm here as your passenger. I'm here to help you open your eyes and see what's out there. What route do you want to take? I'm not your GPS. (laughs) That's a great analogy. Awesome. I love it. What would you say is your greatest strength as a coach? My intuition. I sometimes tell my client, or my clients have told me that too. I'm like an x-ray vision for them. I see things that they don't see themselves. And I have to thank my intuition for that. And my intuition has been built over these many experiences that I consider. And if I really, not if, but when I truly listen and hear what the client is saying, then often this question pops into my head that I have no, you know, that I really have no other influence over except that I know I have to ask that question. And it typically is what really breaks, breaks the DM for clients. Elsa, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that has helped you become successful? I would say my stubbornness. (laughs) (laughs) I used to think it was something not to be very proud of, but it's also what has sustained me. It's like that. How about we call it determination? No, it's stubbornness. <laughs> it's knowing that there has to be a way. That just have to be a way. It's a deeper <laughs> level of determination. I don't have to make it sound pretty. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Some people do feel that need. Oh, yeah. No, I, I hey, I call it. That, that's another one of my qualities. I don't wrap it in a nice bow. I am not afraid to call it the way it is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Call it what it is. No need to sugarcoat or bullshit it. It is what no, it is. Yes. No, I don't. You know, after all, I, I do come from a long line of farmers before my dad. So, you, you know, they, they, they just don't. No. Yeah. I love it. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does that word mean to you? To live in a place of freedom of choice. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after you learned it? The most important lesson is to say, will it matter tomorrow? And what that looks like now is that when I get myself all worked up about something, I can take a deep breath and say, how would this really matter tomorrow? Is it really this important? And it allows me to let go of a whole bunch of stress, worry, anxiety. And before that, I would be thinking it over and over and over again and lose sleep over it because I put way more importance into things that really wasn't that important at all. That's a tough shift to to put into action, to, to be able to stop in the moment 
look at the situation, step step outside of it, look at it, and say to yourself, in the grand scheme of things, is this really going to make a difference? Is it going to matter tomorrow morning when I wake up? That's a hard thing to to step into and put into practice. Yes, it's definitely it's it's a work in progress, but yeah. I am definitely a million times better than I was a year ago. Well, there you go then. As long as you can look back and see that you've improved, that's all that matters. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, yes, that is a very true statement. Yes. What is one common myth about your profession that you'd like to debunk? I would say that it is unuseful is not the right word. I'm, I'm actually sort of struggling for that word, but a lot of people, they look at life coaching as if it is something that is just because you're feeling bad, you know, that you don't feel good about yourself. Life coaching is for me, it's personal development and growth. And that's what we, just like what I shared before about what I have learned is that the way you act today if you take steps to do something a little bit different tomorrow, there is growth there. But a lot of people look and they say, oh, life coaching is just because I want to feel happy. That's not what it's about. Personal development yeah. is about living more effectively and living more from that place of choosing how you want your life to unfold. And that's a journey, not a destination. Absolutely. What is one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you started your career, your entrepreneurial journey? There's no such thing as perfection. <laughs> yeah, love it. What does the word empowerment mean to you? It means honoring yourself first, loving yourself enough to make the hard choices. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. The next grouping of questions just be one, two, three, four word answer type. Okay. Thing, okay. What is your favorite self-care practice? Any form of movement, walking, dancing, just get myself moving. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? <laughs> My warning label would be, don't ask if you don't want to know. <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? It's going to be okay. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? It would be... You're not the boss of me. What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is that I leave behind a legacy that is not showing people that there is hope. What is your biggest pet peeve? Self-pity. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Kindness. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly <laughs> scheduled program. In the last two years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? The biggest improvement in habit is to allow myself a minute to think before I act. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? The one lesson is that it is okay to say no. Now that is a tough one. That's it's it, it's such a big two letter word, you know. And people always feel the need. It, it makes me laugh because people always feel the need when they say no to explain mm -hmm. why it's okay to just say no and leave it at that. You don't have to explain why it's a no. And I think people need to learn too that no isn't necessarily a permanent no. It could just mean not right now. Now is not the right time. Yeah. And it's also saying no gives you freedom to do the things that you're really fully committed to. Yeah, for sure. What is something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? 
I have learned that it doesn't hurt to suck. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to suck. Yeah, this this year was my challenge to myself to be okay with that. So I enlisted in an improv class. And believe me, (laughs) I've done a lot of it, a lot of sucking over the year, but I've had the most fun in those classes. That's good. As long as you have fun doing it. Yeah. And it it didn't kill me. There you go. See, that's taking that moment to stand there and, and say to yourself, ask yourself that question. Is this going to end things tomorrow? Like, is this going to matter tomorrow that I fucked up or I made a mistake or, you know, I think that's great. It's part of your practice of that routine. Yes. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, would you say? I think what has shaped me the most is my early years. Just understanding that that there's good in all people and you just have to make sure that you see the people. There are the good people in your life and acknowledge them for that. that. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world... Who would it be and why? Uh, I'm going to show my roots. I would love to sit down with a Danish queen. Okay. She is an amazing, talented, wise woman, uh, down to earth. And I think I could learn a lot from her. Love it. If you could go back, Elsa, and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't worry so much. Again, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. Lastly. If you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, your community, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? It would be to look for the good in people and to give people the grace to make mistakes. So you have to include forgiveness as part of your values. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Elsa, for being here today and for sharing a little bit about your story and your journey. It has been a very educational and incredibly inspirational chat. Thank you so much for making the time to be here with me today. I appreciate you. Oh, I am so glad that I was here and I truly enjoy speaking with you. Thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure and my honor. I am so grateful to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for doing all the beautiful work that you're doing and for shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world. Thank you very much. Likewise. Once again, once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Elsa Johnson. She is an NLP practitioner, a cognitive behavioral behaviorist therapy practitioner, a certified life coach, and a positive intelligence coach. Thank you so much, Elsa. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You as well. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.